Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology Podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018, the Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but we'll showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to bftexpo.com. That's blockchainfuturetechexpo.com. Thank you. Okay, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Future Tech Podcast. I am Alan Tom, and today we are talking with Synth, CEO of Skycoin.net. How you doing today? Hi, <laughs> great. Okay, nice, nice to have you here. And uh, we'll just jump right into what does Skycoin.net do? Ah, so Sky, so everyone's been hearing about these ICOs and uh, blockchain, and it's like blockchain, 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 and you know you're walking down the street and every single person is doing an ICO <laughs> that you meet, I guess now. Um, so Skycoin is one of the uh, the major blockchain platforms. I think there's four or six platforms that people are launching coins on. Uh, and Skycoin's one of the newer platforms. Ah, ah, okay. So, so, uh, so, so, how long has Skycoin been around? Is it is it recent or is it an, uh, kind of an old player in the space? Pretty much since Bitcoin was launched, it's been in development. But it was, I think, very quiet until like last year when the marketing really started. So, uh, a lot of the people that worked on it were people that were interested in the space even before Bitcoin. So when Bitcoin came around, like a bunch of developers showed up and they started working on this. And you know, Skycoin is really an attempt to fix Bitcoin because when when Bitcoin launched, it was considered to be a social experiment. So people today just accept that like a Bitcoin's worth eight thousand dollars. But when I started in Bitcoin, um, people would pass like ten thousand Bitcoin or two hundred Bitcoin between each other, like it was monopoly money. Bitcoin had no value and so Skycoin really, the development team comes from that sort of early, um, early Bitcoin era of 
uh, like early developers and uh, and when Bitcoin was still a social, ex- it was considered to be a social experiment. Like I don't think anyone that worked on Bitcoin in the first four years really expected it to even survive as long as it did. And uh, a lot of people were surprised that it even reached a dollar. And I was like, oh, my God, it hit a dollar. And <laughs> there was a point when um, you could buy a th- like a thousand Bitcoin for a few dollars. And uh, like it was a, and there was a time when it said a penny. And then within a year, it hit a dollar. And then within a year after that, a thousand dollars. So it's just been it's just been crazy, actually. Um, and so Skycoin. What we're trying to do is basically like fix the problems in Bitcoin. So when Satoshi created Bitcoin, he wanted to create a decentralized currency um, that would be distributed over hundreds of thousands of computers globally. But what ended up happening was because there's this thing called mining in Bitcoin, the uh, it ended up getting taken over by corporations. And now there's only two or three companies that run the whole network. So Satoshi wanted a decentralized cryptocurrency and it ended up becoming centralized. And then Skycoin we spent a lot of research uh, time on research doing uh, figuring out how to fix the the problems in Bitcoin um, that we saw were hindering mass adoption. So we don't consider Bitcoin to be the final coin. I think it's really the first coin that achieved mass adoption, but it's definitely not going to be the the last coin, and it's not going to be the coin that solves all the, the remaining problems. So, so you would say that. Uh, so, is it fair to say that Skycoin's mission is kind of, I, I guess, to be a, a stabilizing force in terms of. Like you said, how quickly the value has, has kind of skyrocketed. I wouldn't say stability because what I've seen is when the number of people in Skycoin doubles, the number of people using it, the price doubles. So uh, Skycoin isn't stable because it, it, it we started out at a penny and the price hit $50 and now it's around $20. So it's up 2,000 times in two years. So it's definitely not stable. It's just up and up and up and up. Like you, people bought it at a penny and it's $20 now. So it's 2,000x in uh, a year, a year and a half. So that, that type of growth is pretty crazy. It's about 1% per day. But we're, we're not trying to be a stable coin. What we're trying to do is really take off uh, and probably finish what Bitcoin started is one of the goals of the project. Or the, um, but, there's other, but there's other goals now, like um, people are asking, what is blockchain? And that's and people are talking about blockchain and how blockchain is going to change everything, but they don't really know what blockchain actually is. And people, so they ask, what is blockchain? And blockchain is really just a database. So what, what Satoshi did when he created Bitcoin was he found a way for every person running this decentralized database to agree on what the state of the database is. And naturally, the first thing you would put in the database is money. So if everyone can agree with a computer algorithm about what the, the, the database state is, then we can have money on that database, and the and the database is maintained controlled by no one. It's essentially decentralized, so no individual controls the database and can tamper with it. So if the database says you have three coins, then you have three coins, and everyone agrees you have three coins. And you send two coins to someone else, and now everyone agrees you have one coin. So this this decentralization, um, what's called a consensus, is the idea that all of these decentralized nodes can come to a common agreement without any central authority. And what that means is we don't need banks and we don't need governments anymore to count our money. We can have a decentralized database and no one is can cheat because, and we rely upon mathematics. So we use algorithms to do what previously governments did and what lawyers would do and so on. Instead of a legal system protecting your money or a government protecting your money, which are often unreliable, like in Cyprus, they just went into the bank accounts and they stole half the money in everyone's account and they called it a bail-in. And they just did it because the government was broke and they needed to, and the banks were out of money and they, so they just grabbed the money out of people's accounts. 
So you can't even – so if we can move money uh, away from governments and we can move it into the realm of mathematics, then we can have a, a sort of more perfect money that's sort of trustless. And that was the objective of Bitcoin, and part of the Skycoin project is to achieve that goal better than Bitcoin does currently. Because Bitcoin, Bitcoin is great. I love Bitcoin, but it has a lot of flaws that are don't become apparent until it hits scale, you know, scaling limitations and transaction fees and central decentralization. It's really centralized. So Bitcoin has a lot of rough edges. It's definitely not. It was the first cryptocurrency, but obviously when something like the first car might be the Model T, right? But that's not going to be the final automobile that the whole world's going to use forever, right? And there's innovation that occurred after that. But for a while, the, you know, the Model T was the most popular automobile, but it didn't last forever. And I think we're, with Bitcoin, we're seeing a, a similar situation in that a lot of other coins like Skycoin are basically taking over um, the role of innovation um, the role of innovating in this uh, in the blockchain ecosystem, whereas Bitcoin has become so big that it's really difficult for them to make any changes without hundreds of people complaining about it, and uh, and it just becomes like a political issue to add new features and things like that. So they're they're just trying to make so Bitcoin is really trying to maintain stability, and it's working. So why fix it? And then other coins like Skycoin are trying to say, well, we have to fix this and fix this and fix this. If we want a billion people using this coin, so we're so Bitcoin, so we're sort of building the future uh, foundation, the sort of the foundation for these uh, this future blockchain ecosystem. And I think a lot of so we have financial institutions, insurance companies, power grid companies, and so on, and they're all looking to move into blockchain. And so at the beginning, blockchain was just about creating coins and speculative assets, and now we're actually seeing companies come into the space. And they're trying to just use blockchain as something useful to them uh, for what they're doing in their business. So uh, we're sort of building the tools and the foundation for providing those services to businesses and things like that. So Skycoin would be, let's say, like you said, steps ahead of where Bitcoin in, in terms of yeah. in, or in terms of the mission, you know, to try to shore up. the Yeah. So like one example is Bitcoin. It takes 20 minutes to an hour for a transaction. And this was fine in the beginning. But now. You can do a transaction in two seconds with a credit card. So if you want your blockchain to be better than credit cards for payments, you need a one or two second transaction time. So in Skycoin, we were able to achieve that. Whereas in Bitcoin, you can do a transaction and it can take an hour for the transaction to clear. Whereas our transactions clear instantly in like one second. So it's like 3,000 times faster. So there's just small usability issues like that that are really holding Bitcoin back. And that's what we tried to address with Skycoin. So so uh, so let me ask you if if um, like you said with with uh, with the world kind of I guess slowly or, or starting to really find out about cryptocurrencies and and with things starting to move that way especially especially with them kind of like you said taking back power over their money from let's say government institutions or banks do you think there'll ever be a, a time when maybe uh, government institutions would try to create their own cryptocurrency to try to attract people back in a sense yeah. It- it's happening right now. So basically, uh, every government right now, Venezuela, United States, China, Russia, has multiple ongoing blockchain pilot projects. And what, 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 what actually happens is money is created through debt. So when you people think the Federal Reserve creates money, and that's true in the United States, but most of the money is actually created through mortgages and credit cards and, uh, and commercial loans. And when a bank loans money, they actually create money out of nothing in a computer database. Um, and then people 
pay back money plus interest, basically. So money is actually in our current financial system is debt. And the and the economy keeps growing as long as the amount of debt keeps growing. But eventually you have so much debt that the interest payments on that debt will consume the whole income of the economy. And then you have to print up more money and more money and more money just so people don't start defaulting on the debt. Because when people default on the debt, the it actually removes money from circulation. And when there's less money in circulation, you have deflation and then the price of goods goes up. And when the price of goods goes up, then factories start becoming unprofitable. Like they're buying cotton at 50 cents and they're making T-shirts and for 80 cents a pound and they're making 30 cent profit. But then cotton goes at 50 percent. Right. And then they're losing money now on manufacturing T-shirts and then the factory closes and then you have people who are unemployed and then they don't have money to spend and then other factories close. And so you have a, a really a, the global economy is really a debt based system and the governments are all trying to keep that system propped up as long as they can. But it's going to fail and it always fails and it could take 100 years sometimes or 200 years. And many of the people in the banking sector who, who know how the economy works and the, and the people in the national security sector, they know that the system will fail. And you talked and, and I there was actually a conversation I had with this guy and uh, he was running this, you know, the system in the 80s. He was like a trader. He was inside all the, you know, they would invite him to like the White House, like meetings. And they're saying like, what do we, okay, the stock market crashed. What do we do? Okay, the interest rates went too high. What do we do? Is this going to cause a problem? And so he was an advisor at that level. And what he, he said was he was surprised that the financial system didn't collapse in the 80s. He said, I'm really surprised. He, he was 100% sure that when he retired in the 80s that it was going to implode. And they've kept the system going for 40 years. And every time there's another problem, another banking crisis, the government comes out with a solution, a bailout, a Band-Aid, negative interest rates. It, and it, 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 sometimes what they do is crazy. Like they came in and they said, we're going to do negative in, 0% interest rates. They're like, wait, 0% interest? And then that wasn't enough. And they said negative interest. Meaning you put money in the bank and they're going to charge you an interest rate just for having the money in the bank. It's just crazy just so they can keep the system from imploding. So some of the, the people in the, in the system have determined that the current financial system is going to fail. And when I, when I saw Bitcoin, I thought the government is going to shut this down. Like, oh, my God, their bankers are going to come in. They're going to they're going to tear this apart. And what actually happened was. This year, all the bankers at Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan are quitting their jobs to start ICOs and to build blockchain businesses. And so the and there's a consensus now that I think we're going to see over the next 10 years that the new financial system that replaces the current one is probably going to be based upon some type of blockchain technology. And every government is actually developing a blockchain pilot. So there's going to be an economic crisis and the governments actually fight each other to attract money into their country. So the government says, we will ta- we'll give you no taxes, bring your money over here, no reporting, no blah, blah, blah. So all the governments are trying to fight with, with each other to attract the money from these corporations. So the first government to bring out a blockchain-based currency that makes it really easy for people to hold the currency and to spend it and, has, and, and, and avoid taxes – that all the money is going to flow into that little that country, and it's probably going to be a tiny country. Like if you look at Switzerland, they were for a while one of the offshore banking centers, and it's a really tiny country. But the whole of Europe would bank their money there. So I think there's a lot of pressure from governments to, in order to promote their economy, they have to attract foreign money, which is called foreign direct investment or FDI. 
And I think blockchain is going to be a centerpiece of the strategy for a lot of these countries for how they're going to attract this foreign investment. Um, I, I don't doubt that. And every government's going to pretend like they're not doing it, and then they, they do it. They always have uh, – publicly they say, we're not a tax haven. We don't – everyone pays taxes, blah, 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 blah. And then in private they say, yo, bring your money over here. We won't report it and blah, 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 blah. And we have all these benefits and no taxes. So they, so they always say one thing in public, and then they always do the other thing in private, what benefits them basically. And, and you, you see that a lot. So it sounds like there's there's literally a, a blockchain race going on that we don't even know about. Like you said, whoever kind of uh, perfects the system enough first, like they would become like the, the they'd become the new Switzerland. Yes. And so if you look at R3, R3 is really interesting. It's a consortium of Goldman, like Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan, Assetor Partners, these huge big four accounting firms that basically run the accounting for the Fortune 500, and it's a consortium of all the largest financial institutions, and they're like IBM and this, this and that, and huge companies, and um, and they're all they're trying to build their own blockchain platform, and then trying to get other companies and banks and countries to adopt it as a standard. But then China's like, no, no, we want to have our own standard, and and Australia says, no, no, we want to have our own standard, and this bank over there says we want to have our own standard. So I think that. The, the existing power, the existing bankers are going to try to build their own standard and enforce everyone else on it. But all of the individuals benefit from having their own standard they control. So I'm thinking there's going to be multiple, like six or eight or ten different blockchain banking standards. It's not going to be one standard globally. It's it, like one bank might support four or six different standards at the same time uh, that are that are used by different other banks. I, I don't think we're going to see anything like the the current banking system where you have like uh, like one group setting all the rules. So so when we get to so when we get to that point where let's say you have uh, like you said eight to ten different standards, I mean, would it end up being a, a situation in, in terms of? And I'm thinking about inter, international trade or, or, or international transactions. Like would I mean going between the different standards would that be similar to what we with uh, the differences in currency rates? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it, it, what's really interesting about blockchain, though, is it's so fast. So if I take if I take money and I deposit it in the bank, it's one second. And then I can convert it into another thing and then withdraw it out from another payment platform in another second. And it takes two seconds. With our current banking system, it can take like three months sometimes to settle accounts. So you someone owes you money and the bank's supposed to pay and then they did a transfer. But then the trans, two months later, the transfer was reverted. And, they, and it, it's just a mess. Whereas... There's a thing called settlement and clearing. So I say, okay, I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars, and then you give me a credit for a thousand dollars, and I spend it. But then you don't. But then you don't actually get the payment for like 60 days or something. And then if even if I pay you with a, a wire, the bank uh, that's sending you the wire, the third party can revert it and then take the money back. And then you have to. So there's something called settlement and clearing, and they're separate right now. And it's really complicated. There's accountants that just spend their whole lives dealing with all these edge cases. But in blockchain, settlement and clearing are the same thing. If I say, here's $1,000 or I owe you $1,000, I can send you $1,000 in one second, and you have the money, and, and it's not revertible. So you, you're guaranteed that it's not the transaction isn't going to revert on you. And so that's amazing. It, so I think blockchain radically simplifies the way that the existing banking system works, and I think there's, there's going to be a lot of cost savings, and I, it's going to shake up the whole industry eventually. Wow, that's uh... – yeah, I I would have to agree with what you told me about what about how it's all set up. Uh, now, as far as Skycoin, where do you see Skycoin going in the next 12 to 24 months? I mean, what's the roadmap for you? So we're doing a lot of projects right now, and we just launched our platform, Fiber. So 
one of the problems with, with for instance, Ethereum, is, blockchain is just a database, and on Ethereum, everyone puts their data and their applications on one giant blockchain that has like a thousand applications on it, but then it gets clogged. It, it just has, the pipes are clogged. You know, there's too much going on. So we create our own platform called Fiber, and we, every company on our platform, we're giving them their own blockchain. So if you're a bank, you get your own blockchain. You're an insurance company, you get your own blockchain. You're a power company, you get your own blockchain. And you're not fighting with 100 other companies to get your transactions in. So Fiber, it's really exciting, and we're, we're launching that, and we have over 30 companies right now that are sort of experimenting with blockchain or launching a coin or doing an ICO or just seeing how blockchain can be integrated with their business. So we have like power grid companies that want to build customers on blockchain. And, and, and I'll give you an example. If you're a power grid company, you generate the electricity now, and then you can wait like two or three months for the customer to pay you. The, the power grid company doesn't check the meter except like every three months. They estimate the power usage. They have to generate the electricity now, pay for the fuel now, pay for the repairs now. And then they might get paid by the customer in two or three months, and they have to do billing, and it's 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 a pain in the ass. So the and they have to float credit basically to the to the client. So with blockchain, they can bill the customer every hour, and as the person is using electricity, bill them out of their account. So the customer deposits money, and then they bill them from the account hourly or weekly or monthly, and they don't have to like give the customer credit, and so it saves the, the utility company a lot of money. So these utility companies are actually really eager to look at how they can use smart meters and blockchain to sort of reduce the, the float that they're offering to the customers and also how they can measure the electricity usage. So they don't actually even know what customers using what electricity at any given time of the day because they don't have real-time data. So they're generating electricity, but they don't know who's consuming it. So it's a, it's a very difficult business. And they don't know if electricity is stolen, they don't know either. So they're going to put these smart meters in and then eventually be able to build a, use blockchain to build a customer continuously or instead of having to offer them like credit terms is what they basically do now. And that cuts a huge amount of overhead off the utility company and improves their profitability. So there's companies coming to us, actually six different utility companies that want to do these pilots. And, and then we're doing corporate partnerships and we have um, – we have farmers actually coming onto blockchain. Uh, we, we had a meeting with the North America's Farmers Association, and they have 15,000 farmers, and they want to produce grain. And they want to uh, – the farmer produces grain, and he wants to sell it to the granary. And the only way for him to do it is through these giant companies like Cargill, and they take most of the profit. So using blockchain, we can have the farmer issue a token for the grain productions and – the farmer can sell the token directly to the mill that's going to mill the grain and sell it to the cereal company. And so the farmer and the mill can keep the profit instead of going through a third party. So we're, we're looking at how blockchain can be used for supply chain tracking and can be used by the enterprise. It can be used by companies. And so for the first eight years or ten years of blockchain, it was just about Bitcoin and whether the price is going up. And it was about speculation and ICOs. And this year is really the first year that the enterprise and the corporation is sort of entering the blockchain space and how companies are seeing blockchain as a database and they're asking how can blockchain make us money how can blockchain save us money how can blockchain make it easier for our customers to you know do that so right now um you might have an inventory company a distributor and they can expose their inventory on blockchain and then people can buy and sell can see what they have in the inventory and they can buy like this creative pepsi or this creative that and and blockchain can add transparency to their supply chain Whereas right now they have to contact the company and ask them like, oh, are you out of this or how much? And then people can pre-reserve capacity so they can say in a month, I need one pallet of beer 
you know, per week, blah, 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 blah. And, um, and they can pre-allocate that capacity and say, I need this. And the company says, okay, you have this. And then, uh, and then they have, you know, immediately deliverable stock. And so, so there's different applications. I think that blockchain is going to be, I think blockchain is going to be used everywhere that an existing database, that databases are used. So it's going to be used in inventory, supply chain management, like video streaming, sharing, social networking, messaging, inventory management, utility companies. And so we're, we're really looking at enterprise resource management. Um, so there's different uh, blockchain is going to be everywhere in 10 years the word blockchain is basically going to replace the word database. People are going to be bored with it. It's still a new, exciting technology today, but in 10 years, it'll just be so far in the background that people probably won't be in, very interested in it. Wow. It, it'll, so basically, it'll just become part of everyday life. Then. Yeah. You won't even know. Like when you use data, Facebook, you don't say, oh, I'm using a database. The database <laughs> is somewhere in the background in some server closet. You know, you don't you don't think about it. It's just being used constantly but who you know you don't the user doesn't care like grandma doesn't care grandma grandma doesn't need blockchain grandma wants to know what blockchain is going to do for her and she doesn't she, she wants to use the app she wants to buy cookies she wants to do e-commerce she wants to do online banking grandma doesn't care whether the bank's using a sql database or a blockchain right she just she cares what it's going to do for her and and so we're moving right now from the speculative stage of blockchain to real the real world application of blockchain i think Wow, that that is amazing, and and uh, and I I would agree as as quickly as it seems to have come on, like I like you said, I could definitely see that in the next seventeen. And and let me just uh, wrap up with one more question. Uh, how so so for our listeners, how what's the best way to get in touch with Skycoin? Just go to your website. Uh, so yeah, we have Skycoin.net, and you can check. There's this website CoinMarketCap.com that everyone just opens on their phone and keeps refreshing every 30 seconds. Like, is Bitcoin up? Is Bitcoin up? Did it go down? Did it go up? And you just you look at the prices of these coins go up like 20% in a day, and you buy the coin. I'm like, oh my god, I just made you know $20,000 <laughs> in two hours. <laughs> and so um, yeah, we're on CoinMarketCap.com, Cryptopia, C2CX.com, and um, you know, we're, we're getting listed on all these exchanges now. It's just everywhere. Okay, well, great. Well, I definitely want to. I definitely want to thank you for for being on the podcast, Sam. And uh, like I said, for, for giving your time, your expertise, and, and, and everyone. Like I said, everyone go right to skycoin.net. Yeah. Uh, thank, <laughs> thank. That's it. Thanks for coming in. Oh yeah, great. Coming to Dallas, Texas, September 14th, 15th, and 16th, 2018. The Blockchain and Future Tech Expo. This is going to be a gigantic conference of over 5,000 people. We're going to be talking about blockchain and its applications. We're going to be talking about quantum computing, cybersecurity, artificial intelligence, and several other future technologies that are poised to and actually changing our lives as we speak. Here's why you should attend. As you may know, early adopters are the ones that investigated and profited from things like the gold rush in the 1800s, from the dot-com boom in the 1990s, from the internet boom in 2005, from the smartphone explosion in 2007, from the real estate boom that ended in 2008, and of course, from the Bitcoin boom that started in 2012. Early adopters act now. They don't wait till later. They go out west first in their covered wagons. They find the biggest gold nuggets. If you consider yourself an early adopter and you want to find the biggest nuggets, then you owe it to yourself to attend this upcoming conference. Blockchain is going to affect how we control and store our medical data, how we send money around the world, how we bank, and more. But artificial intelligence, quantum computing, and cybersecurity 
will play a pivotal role in our lives as well. And that's why our next event, September 14th to the 16th at the Dallas Convention Center, is going to have not only 5,000 plus attendees, but will showcase blockchain, AI, cybersecurity, quantum computing, and more. You want to get in on the coming gold rush of future tech and opportunity as an early adopter. Don't be left out. To register, go to BFTExpo.com. That's BlockchainFutureTechExpo.com. Thank you. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.